Dracula last night, so you might as well start, like, starting tomorrow. <laughs> I am Dracula. Welcome to my house. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's like, it's really awesome, actually. I, yeah. I hadn't, I hadn't seen it, um, but the performances are like so over the top Wait, and cheesy. But you hadn't seen it. Mm-mm. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Mm, the, wow. the Coppola film. Yeah. No, I hadn't yet. I, but mean, I really I felt... liked the production of it, like yeah. the, the sets and his shadows on the walls and stuff, and interesting like camera techniques and shit like that. It was well made. Yeah. But super cheesy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I thought it was. Good. I've I mean, seen terrible, blabby things already. Bloody wolves chasing me through the woods. I don't remember those lines. Keanu's voice, uh, his accent work in that film is really something. Yeah. I mean, the accent you just did is probably better then, because whatever you just did, I was like, that sounds fine. (laughs) That sounds passable. (laughs) The spooky season is upon us. And scary things. Scary things. Our first couple stories, you know, mine was the Sarah Joe, the mystery of the the little Boston whaler going missing off of Hawaii. Last week you had the incredible story of Randy Weaver and the Weaver clan at Ruby Ridge and their standoff with the U.S. Marshals and the FBI and everything, and that was a lot to take in, but still, I think, spooky for a different reason. It wasn't the... Scary in its own, right? It wasn't the sort of murder type deal this week I'm getting into the dirty nasty sexually motivated murder the thoroughs of serial killers yeah kind of the worst of the worst this guy oh boy today we're going to be talking about Colonel Russell Williams who was formerly formerly Commander of CFB Trenton, the largest and most important air base in Canada. It's where, in their joint effort in the wars in Afghanistan and everything, that's the last place that soldiers would go before getting shipped overseas to their assignments, more or less. Mm. Um, he Canadian is, story. Yes, we're in we're in Canada, and he was born in 1963 in Bromsgrove, England. Uh, but his family emigrated to Canada really early on, and um, uh, it it doesn't really factor in, but his parents did divorce when he was six years old, and it was apparently sort of just something he never talked about. His mm-hmm. friends kind of knew that it was a subject that was off-limits, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, at six years old, starting at six years old, it was off limits. Well, no, 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 no. His parents divorced at six. I don't know that he had friends at six years old that he was like, I don't talk about that. But like, mm-hmm. I'm talking about once he like got to college um, and stuff like that. He earned degrees in... What? No, nothing. That was a joke. What? What I said was a joke. Oh. <laughs> you seemed really what serious. I, I know. Well... I'm still tired. What I said was a joke. I'm still waking up. Uh, He earned degrees in economics and political science from the University of Toronto, uh, where he met his best friend, whose name is Jeff Farquhar. Uh, They were, like, best man at each other's wedding. They just, like, they were the... He was the one friend that Russell Williams really communicated with. 
and um, I was watching a documentary on, uh, you can find it on YouTube, it's called The Fifth Estate. It's this series that um, the CBC in Canada does. Uh, it's a fucking great series. They have all kinds of different stories on there. Um, but they did one on Russell Williams where they interview Jeff Farquhar, his best friend from college. And he tells this story about a, a quote-unquote prank that Williams used to do all the time. He says that Williams would gain access to someone's dorm while they weren't there. He'd hide in a closet or something, like, for hours sometimes. And when the person finally came home and, like, sat down, started to do some work on their laptop or whatever, he would jump out and, like, scare the shit out of them. Oh, my God. And, uh, you know, fun prank. Um... And Farquhar says... He, he says in the documentary, like, really nonchalantly, he's like, look, maybe Russ did start this, the, the prank, but I don't read anything dark into that. <laughs> what is that guy up to? I don't know. He seems, <laughs> um, he's a, he's a interesting character in his own right, this Jeff Farquhar. Um, but he is not the subject of our story. He just has no, some Farquhar. interesting parts. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He huffed and he puffed. And he... And he signed an eviction notice. <laughs> um, Farquhar also says that around this time, in well, while he's in college, Williams becomes absolutely obsessed with the movie Top Gun. Um, and he suddenly wants to be a pilot. He's just absolutely obsessed with it. He's got that need for speed. Mm-hmm. And suddenly drops everything and in 1987 he enlists in the Air Force and three years after that he gets his wings um, Wow so he just he goes from economics to obsessed with Tom Cruise yeah. and, and Val Kilmer and, and Val Kilmer <laughs> in Top Gun and I don't know about the volleyball but he and, loved them planes though and he did it in and, three short years yeah, it sounds wow. like he I mean and that's sort of his, um, that's sort of a trend in this story is he climbs the ladder really quickly, it seems. He's a very determined and focused, driven worker. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, in all aspects of his life, it, it, uh, we will come to find later. Uh, but in the mid-90s, Williams and his wife, Mary Elizabeth Harriman, they build a two-story home in Orleans, which is a community in Ottawa. Um, Williams, like I said, continues to climb the ranks in the Air Force. In 99, he's promoted to major, and he's given a desk job in the military careers department. Um, he's also, at this time, like in charge of flying foreign dignitaries and stuff. Like He's going to transport the prime minister. Uh, later on, he is in charge of the flight that uh, brings Queen Elizabeth from England on her royal visit to Canada. Like, he's he's a, a an important figure in the Air Force. They... They, they trust him. They trust him. They value his work. Um, he's very highly regarded so far. Uh, so he gets that desk job. I have a quick quote um, from a woman named Shirley White, who was a neighbor of Williams and his wife, Mary Elizabeth, um, around this time in late 90s. And she says, quote, 
he and his wife were the perfect couple. I just about dropped to the floor when I heard about the charges. For me, it was like saying the Pope did something like this. Wow. And we hear that kind of stuff a lot. Um, a lot of quotes on... Williams has a lot of like character witnesses, for lack of a better term, that really... I mean, are shocked when they, when it comes out what he has done. Um, they just, no one ever suspected it. Because he's so, he's such a high-ranking officer in the Air Force, he's just afforded the benefit of the doubt and is above suspicion. Um, by, by June of 2004, Williams has earned the rank of Lieutenant Colonel, and he and his wife buy a lakefront cottage in Tweed, Ontario. Uh, which is about, so they have the house in Ottawa initially. Ontario is a couple hours to the west of Ottawa, I believe. Um, and Tweed, Ontario is like a quiet little lakefront cottage. Um, mm. It's sort of like a, they call it a, a bedroom community. I'm not really exactly sure yeah, what that means. Yeah, totally. Um, just like a quiet little neighborhood, yeah. you know. So, um, the house is actually, sorry, the, the house is actually on Cozy Cove Lane. Oh, cute. It ends um, up being so sinister. Yeah, oh, not cute. It's, it's not cute <laughs> by the end. It's cute. fucked, yeah. But I just want to say, um, like, Westminster, where mm-hmm. uh, Mount Wachusett is. Well, mm-hmm. I guess Mount Wachusett's technically in Princeton, but you have to go through Westminster to get there. Um, that's considered a bedrock community as well, or bedroom I think that's what they said, bedroom community. Yeah, sorry, sorry. That's also considered a bedroom community mm-hmm. where it's like sleepy town. There's like a really small downtown um, and uh, like I'm just thinking similar to Cozy Cove Lane. There's like Honeybee Lane and Bean Porridge Road. Yeah. And Quiet little like, side streets with like a couple houses dotted yeah. down each one, and yeah, still just has a, really, a lot of. I think this was even like a dirt road. It was a gravel quiet. road. Yeah, not still even paved. Still has a lot you know? of old quiet charm. Totally, yeah, so. yeah, and it seems that way. I mean, it's a, you know, you look at shots of the house and stuff. I mean, the house itself is a modest little, yeah, white cottage house but the the view i mean they're backed up right on this beautiful lake and yeah it's a really nice looking place um so that happens in 2004 that they uh buy this cottage we're kind of moving quickly through his timeline before we get to his crimes but from 2007 to 2009 in the neighborhood of the williams home in ottawa and their new cottage in tweed so those two neighborhoods combined there are a total of 82 break-ins and hundreds of female undergarments from victims as young as nine years old are stolen. What? I'm sorry. You want me to say all that again? No. (laughs) In, in, In the immediate neighborhood. Like, they show, I've seen maps of, like, where the Williams homes are, and there's dots of where the break ins are, and I mean, they're all around his house. Both of his, both his house in Ottawa and the cottage in Tweed. No. And because he's a high-ranking military official. No one suspects him. Of course not. No. Uh, in 2009, William spends, he sent 
by by the military, he sent away for six months to learn French in Quebec. Once he does learn French... I'm shocked he didn't already know French. Yeah, me too, sort of, that he's such a high-ranking official. I think maybe he had some, but... Canada for so long. Yeah, yeah. Um, But anyway, after after the six months, he does end up learning French, and once he commands these two official languages of Canada, English Mm -hmm. and French, he is put in charge of CFB Trenton. Uh, Canadian Air Force Base Trenton, which is, like I said in the beginning, the largest and most important air base of its kind in Canada. Once he does learn French and he commands the two official languages, he is put in charge of CFB Trenton. Um, So now at age 46, Williams is now a full colonel and he's in charge of 7,000 people. Wow. At the largest and most important air base in Canada, everyone sees him as a future general. He's destined for a promotion to general eventually. Um, as, he, as I said, he is just really climbing the ranks quickly. Yeah. Well, yeah. And this is... Well, I, don't, I don't know if it's like skyrocketing, if it's really that quickly, but it seems like, I mean, he's a young guy to be in charge of 7,000 people, I think, 46 years old. I could be wrong. Uh, yeah, maybe. I I just think about like the system of like a general being seventy or something like that, and it's just like you don't know what the fuck is life is like right now yep. for young yeah, people. Valid. But right. anyways, um, so we're now in like two thousand nine. We're in two thousand nine okay. when he's actually promoted. So now we are going to. It's s- not that long ago. That's all I wanted to point out. It's like, pretty recent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 11 years ago. Yep. Cool. Okay. Um, so now we are going to kind of put on the brakes because in this, at the end of 2009, this is where Williams really ramps up um, and Got his it. crime spree starts really getting more violent uh, instead of just home, in, home invasions and taking women's undergarments and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um it's really important that he's promoted to commander of the base in at CFB Trenton because that base is in Ontario. It's about a 45-minute drive from his cottage in Tweed. So Got it. At this time, Williams decides to effectively move into the cottage in Tweed as his primary residence. Oh, wow. So they own both those homes. Yes. Okay. They have yeah, the house in that. Ottawa, yeah. and this is kind of their, like, vacation home. But now that he's going to be working in Ontario full-time, he decides to move into that house full-time. But his wife, Mary, stays in Ottawa, mm. a few hours' drive to the east, right, to oversee construction of a new townhouse that they're building uh-huh. in Ottawa. In um, It says the, the swanky Westboro district. Yeah. I don't know anything about it, but... Sounds swanky. <laughs> Better was swanky. Sounds swanky. Um, but yeah, so they are effect- effectively now they begin a sort of long distance relationship where they'll visit on the weekends. Um, Williams will like drive back to Ottawa or she'll drive over to Ontario on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of nights. Where that Williams spends alone at the cottage in Tweed, or maybe not so alone. We will come to see. Uh-huh. He commits 10 break-ins in his first two months as commander of CFB Trenton. 
two months? In his first two months, he commits ten, ten break-ins in his neighborhood in he's, Tweed. He's averaging about one a week, one and a half. He's going off. Um, yeah. So here we go. He's obviously bored. <sighs> or, yeah, I don't. Or manic. <laughs> I don't know what he is. He's he's. Um, or both. He's motivated. Yeah. Uh, by by some force inside of himself, you know, that I can't really put my finger on. But on September sixteenth, two thousand nine, Williams returns to the base after a flight to the Arctic. This is where it starts. So the sixteenth. He gets back to the base from the flight to the Arctic. On September 17th, he commits his first sexual assault. There's very little info on this attack. I really couldn't find much at all. Um, and and we'll, I'll sort of tell you why after I explain this attack. At the end of September, so a couple of weeks later, Williams breaks into a home that he had already broken into twice before. He ties the woman who lives there to a chair, beats her, chokes her, sexually assaults her, and then takes pictures of her battered body. The attack lasts over two and a half hours, and when the woman asks Williams if he's going to kill her, he said, no need for that. Now, these two sexual assaults here, they are both under no print orders, and that's why there's very little coverage and detail on them, sort of in press. I, I looked at some court proceedings, and there's really awful details, and he does also detail them in his confession and interrogation, which I, if you are interested in this case at all, um, that interrogation and confession video, you can find it on YouTube really easily. It's about, like, three hours. It is extremely compelling um it's it's one of the better interrogations i've ever seen the day after this second sexual assault police and detectives canvas williams's neighborhood because that's where they've happened is mm -hmm. right in his neighborhood but when they get to his house there's no answer at at, at his home um officers ask his next door neighbor larry jones who lives in that house. Jones tells them it's Russell Williams, commander at CFB Trenton. And the cop said, well, I guess there's no sense looking at that guy then. <laughs> That's what Larry Jones said in this Fifth Estate documentary. Um, just continuing the pattern, you know, that yeah. he's above suspicion. Yeah. Cops initially zero in on Larry Jones as their suspect, actually, the next door neighbor. They even arrest okay. him. They arrest him and make a spectacle of putting him into the cruiser for questioning. And as soon as that happens, he is guilty in the public eye, essentially. Mm -hmm. Russell Williams is afforded even more cover and shadows to maneuver in. Mm -hmm. No one suspects Russell Williams. A few months later, in late November... Williams breaks into the home of Marie-France Cuomo, a young woman who serves as a corporal at CFB Trenton. So she had worked actually on one of the crews of Williams' flights, and that's where they've met. Mm -hmm. So He's her superior. He has access to 
everything, her schedule, her contact information, where she lives. Um, yeah. yeah. Emergency contacts. Yep. Wow. So on this night in late November, he breaks into her home. Williams had actually broken into the house before, um, as he usually did. He usually broke into these houses multiple times and would s- steal their underwear and take photos of himself modeling them, uh, which are terrifying. Um, but he also broke into her house to confirm that she lived alone. And he did so. Uh, so on this night in late November, Williams broke in through a, bri- through a basement window, as he had previously done, and he hid near the furnace for like 45 minutes waiting for uh, Marie-France Como to go to sleep. Instead, what happened is the stuff of pure nightmares and horror movies. Como, as she was going to lay down, she was looking for her cat uh, to lay down for the night. But her cat was in the basement. It had spotted Williams and was now staring at him, hiding behind the furnace. When Como found the cat downstairs, she notices it staring into the dark corner by the furnace. She kind of inches up and sees Williams hiding there and is obviously terrified. She doesn't immediately recognize him because he has like a cover, like a ski cover on his Mm -hmm. face. But a struggle ensues. William says he subdued Como with a flashlight he had brought and then tied her up to a support beam in the basement. He uses that word a lot, subdued. I subdued her. He, he likes that word. Yeah. Probably means knocked her out. Yeah. It's like, again, that horror movie where you, she, get knocked, she gets knocked out and wakes up tied to a pole or something terrible. Yeah, literally. Over the course of a four-hour attack, Williams beat, raped, and photographed Marie-France Como, telling her if she stayed quiet, he'd let her go. Eventually, Williams placed duct tape over Como's mouth and nose and slowly suffocated her, continuing to take pictures. Um, there's a lot of pictures. These pictures are not available. I have not seen photos of these women, obviously. Um, Not so obviously, maybe, but... Williams then washed the sheets on the bed, trying to get rid of evidence. Um, He placed Como on the bed with a duvet cover over her. Um, He took more photos, and he then left. Como's body was found later that day, and Williams, as her boss sent an email to her family expressing his condolences for their loss. Wow. Again, no one suspects Williams of anything. He is, at the very least, with all these photos, collecting all the evidence for on himself. Yeah. So they'll, if he does get caught... That makes the job a little easier. <laughs> but. Yes. Wow. Cold blooded. 
and escalating, I think, mm. ramping up. Wow. So far... So it gets worse. The sexual assaults, the initial sexual assaults were obviously violent, mm. but he did not kill these women. Oh. And Marie-France Como's assault is sexual, brutal, and fatal, right. ultimately. Um, he kills this woman. <sighs> then... Two months after Marie-France Como's body is found, about 3 a.m. on January 28, 2010, two construction workers making their daily commute down a kind of rural highway notice an SUV parked in a field. It immediately strikes them as odd because they make this drive all the time. They've never seen a car there. It's also the vehicle is like a good ways off of the road, but also parked far from the closest house. It's just in a really weird spot and it immediately sticks out to them. They comment that it's weird, but they keep driving. That morning on uh, January 28th, 2010, 27 year old Jessica Lloyd is reported missing. Her brother, uh, Andy, I think his name is, her brother goes to her house and finds her purse, her cell phone, her ID, all the things she wouldn't leave without, you know. It's not not good signs. Once posters go up for Jessica Lloyd, the search happens immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, They know it's really serious. And another thing they say in one of these documentaries is that Ontario is one of the safer communities in... uh, Canada, basically. Right. So because of that, because they don't have a ton of really serious crime, they had a lot of resources to afford this terrible crime. Yeah. Well, they don't know that it's a terrible crime yet. They just know that she's missing. Right. Um, but, but missing posters are plastered everywhere. Right. Um, lots of, yeah, just, they direct a lot of attention towards this I love that, case. like, if someone's reported missing so far, it seems... It's not like, uh, you know, wait 24 hours, they'll probably show back up. Um, the it's way done it is very differently in, in Canada. <laughs> yeah. And uh, better, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Definitely the, the law enforcement systems and even the court systems from all the different stories I've read um, on crimes in Canada yeah. seem to be more swiftly handled and punishments like with the intent to send the message of like we don't tolerate this kind of crime Mm. yeah and i think uh, also again that interrogation is so fascinating because it their uh not even style of interrogation but what they're allowed to do is totally different in canada versus Mm -hmm. the states Mm -hmm. like in the states if you say i want a lawyer they're done. They cannot ask you another thing, like, legally. Technically, you have to have legal counsel pres- present. But in Canada, if you want a lawyer, they'll give you... They'll take you to a phone, basically, where you can call a lawyer, and he'll, he or she will give the person advice, mm-hmm. more or less. Like, they'll counsel them. And, and then, then they are sent back into the interrogation room, and the detective is allowed to, to ask anything they want... And the person just has the option of staying silent and not answering anything. But 
they usually break them down <laughs> by just asking question after question. Um, yeah, it's really interesting the way they do it in Canada. Jessica is reported missing. Once the posters go up, the men that were driving by that early morning, they come forward and report the SUV that they saw because it was weird. And it turns out that the SUV was parked the house it was parked closest to is Jessica Lloyd's house. Oh, Jesus. Of course. So they report that they saw this SUV in the field. The ground was frozen and it hadn't snowed. And police were able to take really good casts of these unique tire prints from the field next to Jessica Lloyd's house, as well as good casts of boot prints walking up to her house. Ah. Fuck, I might have this backwards because this might be in Ottawa. I'm not positive. I don't know. It says the, the OPP set up roadblocks. I think that's the Ottawa Provincial Police. Oh. OPP? Ottawa Provincial Police. I could, it could be wrong. It could be Ontario. It could. Yeah, yeah, totally. Those both start with O. <laughs> but anyway, the, the only difference. The OPP uh, set up roadblocks by the house, by her house. And a, a week later, on February 4th, Russell Williams pulls up to this roadblock in his Nissan Pathfinder. Is that an SUV? That's an SUV, yeah. Um, it is. It ends up being the very SUV. Um. The very same. Williams is sent on his way uh, by police after, you know, successfully... Telling him who he is. Yeah, basically. <laughs> um, he's sent away after about 90 seconds. 90 seconds? 90 seconds. Uh, but what Williams doesn't know is that he has immediately been placed under surveillance because his tires are an exact match to the cast from the field by wow. Jessica Lloyd's house. On Sunday, February 7th, Williams is called in for questioning by the OPP. He agrees to come down and immediately, uh, apparently he thinks he's actually going to be asked about Larry Jones, mm-hmm. his next door neighbor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is he still in jail? I don't think Larry Jones they was in jail, like but he was him. still their suspect, I right. think, as far as Williams was concerned anyway. Right. Yeah. Um, and Williams comes right down to the station. Okay. This is where the interrogation comes in, and it's just so good. But uh, eventually, after you know building rapport and everything, Williams is confronted with the tire evidence and with the boot evidence. They basically ask him, they're like, you know, would you be willing to give us, you know, DNA and boot prints and stuff? He agrees to give them prints of the boots that he wore to the interrogation. Mm-hmm. They are the exact same boots that he wore to Jessica Lloyd's house that night. He wore the fucking boots to the interrogation. That this is guy. also like the fatal flaw. I feel He's like so cocky. Killers, they do that shit. But he knows he cannot be caught. This guy's fucking right. driving the car well, and wearing the boots. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, he's just so sure because he's a colonel and above suspicion. Right. You know, it's crazy. So he is confronted with the tire evidence and the boot evidence. I'd like to maybe back up slightly. So he's confronted with the evidence. And the main thing right now, Jessica Lloyd, her body still has not been recovered. Oh. They still do not actually know where she is. She is still missing. Wow. Um, 
So what they're trying to do is get him to tell them where she is. This part of the interrogation is really interesting because he does not say a lot. He's just being confronted with it, and you can see him just crumbling inside of himself. Like, Mm -hmm. he knows it's up. Um, The jig is up. Pretty much. He asks the detective to call him Russ, please. He goes, (laughs) call me Russ, please. And the detective's like, all right, Russ, where... Where is she? Mm-hmm. And he's the detective is asking how hard it's going to be to find Jessica's body. He's asking what what is Russell struggling with here? What's the issue that he's struggling with? Russell eventually says, it's hard to believe this is happening. The detective, again, just lays it on thick. He talks about wow. anything that this major case manager asks for, the head of state or whatever has already said don't even bother asking it's approved and he just like he crumbles um he breathes deep and he finally says okay detective smith says where is she there's another very long pregnant pause and williams finally says got a map At this point, uh, Detective Smith is absolutely scrambling and, like, looking through everything he has. He's, like, desperately trying to find a map. Hmm. He's, like, looking through the photos in his binder and stuff, and he's, like, bumping the microphone as he searches and everything. He's just, like, very flustered, and he can't believe that he's finally got him. Yeah, Um, no, I can't even imagine, like, the feelings that he's going through. The detective as, like, wait, wait. Not number one, this is the guy who did it, like this decorated uh, pilot and commander of military the largest pilot. base yeah. in Canada, yeah. And then also, this it's as easy as this guy's gonna show me on a map. I don't have a map! Why did you, I, why why did I, I have a map? map? Yeah. So he like leaves the room and tries to find a map, basically. He like prints some shit off of Google Earth or something, wow. and he like comes in. And um, it's really interesting because they're they're sort of like not arguing over the map, but everything that he brings in, Russ is just like, no, you you need a real map. He's like, I need a Mm. map and I'll show you. Mm -hmm. In this, um, in in the midst of this scramble to find a map, Russ tells Detective Smith exactly where all of his memory cards are located for his hundreds and maybe thousands of photos wait till you see he what says that is. they'll find images of he and Jessica and when pressed when pressed he also admits there will be photos of he and Marie Franz Cuomo as well and the two sexual assaults from September he also says he has two hard drives in Ottawa and he tells the detective where he can find his enormous collection of stolen undergarments. So they do finally get a map of the area. And it turns out Russell Williams actually dumped Jessica Lloyd's body very close to Larry Jones's camp, uh, hunting camp. It's very strategic what he did. Yeah. He knew exactly where he was 
putting her and yeah. what message he was trying to send with it. So they get into the details of Jessica's brutal attack. Um, Williams says that he was driving by one day and essentially saw her on her treadmill. Um, saw her exercising on her treadmill and decided then and there that he was going to break in. Wow. Uh, he had again, of course, broken into the house before and kind of cased the joint. Um, that night, he breaks in and again subdues her with a flashlight, the same big red flashlight that he brought. It's probably like one of those heavy, like mag light police flashlights, you mm-hmm. know, pretty. It's a weapon, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds pretty substantial. Um, so once he hits her, he, I believe he does sexually assault her in her home and then decides to tie her up and take her out to his car. Mm. He then takes her to his cottage in Tweed Mm. and they spend the day in Tweed. As they were walking out of his cottage, I guess, Jessica thinks that they're leaving finally. This whole time he said as long as she cooperated, of course he would let her go. They're leaving the house and Williams hits her in the back of the head with this flashlight. Again, probably. Not the first time. Yes, not not the first time, but this time um, it was far more substantial. Mm-hmm. They sort of talk in the uh, interrogation, of course, about the details, and Detective Smith says, what did the hit on the head do? And Williams, again, with just a... a a confounding lack of emotion. He goes, well, I was surprised her skull gave way. And he goes, she was immediately unconscious and I strangled her. Wow. Just like that though, he goes, well, I was, you know, I was surprised her, her skull gave way. In that, (laughs) I don't want to be stereotypical, but in that very like polite Canadian way, you know, it's like, no big deal. Like, yeah. Well, I was surprised her skull gave way. It's like, what the fuck? Totally. Like, dude, yeah. Yeah. it's crazy. I'm telling you, you got to watch this interrogation. It's it's really something. Yeah. And I just want to be clear, like, we're not really laughing because it's funny. It's just, like, shocking. It's shocking, and, yeah. It's uncomfortable. And, yeah, I, I, exactly. That's my uncomfortable, uncomfortable nervous laughs. laugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no doubt. Yeah. Um, so over the course of this interrogation, he goes into all the details of all, all of his attacks. He tells that terrifying story of the cat seeing him in the basement of Marie Franz Cuomo's house and stuff Um, it's just brutal they eventually get him of course he's arrested that night he eventually pleads guilty to 88 charges in all I think 84 total break-ins the two sexual assaults and the two first-degree murders and he is currently in Canadian prison for life. Apparently he initially, um, he attempted suicide by stuffing a cardboard toilet paper roll down his throat. Jesus. But guards stopped him before he was able to uh, complete his task. He was then placed on suicide watch, of course, and since his suicide attempt, uh, Williams has apparently reconciled with his fate and how he will be spending the rest of his life. 
which I don't really give a fuck if he's happy or not, but, <laughs> or reconciled. But apparently, um, the thing he is still most remorseful about, if you will, is the what this situation has done to his wife. That's apparently his only concern. Yeah. Not the people he murdered or the 84 break-ins or the two sexual assaults, but what, the what his I wife went through. The cares about. He didn't care about all those other people. And I... I guess, yeah. I am curious what his wife's reaction to all this was. Because... They didn't even live together most of the time. So it's kind of like, I would imagine that she's like, maybe a little surprised. But <laughs> also, she's like, I really haven't spent much time with him in the last six years. So, or however long. So, you know, I, I also imagine there's sort of a, a part of her that's like, I didn't. I couldn't tell you what he gets up to in his free time because... Yeah, I mean, they I, seem I very distant to me. Yeah. Aside from being long distance and they're alone a lot of the time, it's just I think he kept a lot of secrets from everyone. Yeah. I think that's clear. But one of the things, um, one of the last things kind of to that point that Detective Smith and Williams talk about before the uh, interview is concluded, Detective Smith asks him point blank, did you like or dislike these women? And Williams says again in that flat, affectless way, I didn't know any of them. Wow. He just, they weren't even human to him, right. his victims. Yep. He didn't, they weren't people. Yep. And he did not treat them as such. That's for sure. Yeah. Really brutal. That's about it. So brutal. He's in jail now. Yeah. Right where he should be. Well, but, you know, just... he was, that, that next day, he was, like, immediately, of course, stripped of his command of CFB Trenton. Mm. All of his, like, he, he was basically, um, they tried to scrub clean any mention of him ever being in the military, more or less. Like, mm-hmm. all of his photos have been taken down, like, all these brochures that, carried his photo and stuff like not he, there's no sign of him anymore they tried to wipe the slate clean more or less i know i'm sure they didn't do this but could you imagine a call to like queen elizabeth like hey one time there was a pilot who... really sorry about that yeah I'm, we're really sorry about that we're sorry eh? sorry <laughs> oh my god we're real sorry about that i bet she doesn't know but if she did yeah <laughs> she would lose sleep i'm sure well, I mean, I don't know that she would. At that high profile, I bet people try to kill you all the time. So. I mean, I'm, yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I'm sure there's worse people around her right now than Russell Williams. Look at uh, Prince Russell Andrew. Russell Williams is bad, but Look at Prince Andrew. Not good. Not great. Not great. I'm not trying to kill her, though. I don't think. Um, yeah, not the queen. I'm not trying to kill the queen. You can't. Yeah. Kill, you can't kill the queen. He's just trying to kill people you don't even know about. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yeah, that's the story of former Colonel uh, Russell Williams, now convicted murderer. Yeah. And again, like we said, I mean, like I've been saying, he was still escalating. I think Jessica Lloyd was his first kidnapping. Now. Yeah. But he hadn't 
taken someone back to his home before and then killed them and dumped the body. Like, he was still on his ramping up, you know? And I think they... It wasn't quick enough, but I think they caught him just in time. I think he would have continued to do this for... until he was finally caught. And he could have had a much, much higher body count. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any question. And he might still, actually. I'd like to see if... Maybe there are other crimes in the area that are unsolved that maybe... He might have had something to do with. I just don't know. It seems like he... I mean, with just that many break-ins and things, like, it seems like he was, like you said, doing it all the time, kind of. Yeah. It seems like it happened really often. Seems to me that he would have owned up to those things at this point. Like, he's got nothing to lose, and I... He might have. I mean, he wasn't really uh, that... um, he wasn't really that willing to share. Yeah. He, he kind of, he admitted to the cases that the detectives kind of placed in front of him. Right. That they were like, we know you did these four brutal assaults. And yeah. Two brutal assaults and two murders. And he did confess to all four of those, but I can't say if, you know, there was other ones that right. he also could have confessed to that they just didn't come up with. I don't know. Yeah. I just I, don't know. Is he even... So, is he even considered a serial killer? No, I don't think so. Don't not think so. technically. You have to kill, like, five no. people. I think it's, like, four. Three or four, maybe? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Four. Somewhere in that window. But, yeah, I, don't, I think technically he is not considered a serial killer. Yeah. But I but think he, he would have been. been. Yeah. yeah. He, he would have been, been if they didn't get him just in time. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Woulda and coulda. Mix on the sugar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yay. Well, yeah. Kind of a straightforward one, but yeah, pretty it, uh, dark. Yeah, just like brutal, good, good to know. Uh, I think good to know for any listeners out there, um, and for us, like uh, serial killers exist outside of, or brutal murderers exist outside of. Uh, like, just our, our country and the ones that we hear about. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Definitely. It's always nice to hear. Definitely. Those. Always nice to always hear. Always nice to hear those stories. <laughs> yeah. Always nice to hear we're not, like, the only fucked up place. It is always nice to hear. We don't. Those, we're not those the only international country that murders. creates fucked up people. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. That's true. Well, that is true. It uh, makes me feel a little better. <laughs> it just warms my heart. Not so good at catching them, but... Yeah. Let us know your thoughts on the Canadian BTK. And you know, not much to speculate, but uh, would love to hear more details that any of y'all check out or hear. And, um, yeah, and do look up that uh, interrogation. There's a great YouTube channel called Jim Can't Swim, who does, like really in-depth interesting psychological breakdowns of these interrogations and stuff and his video on russell williams is like his chef's kiss it is so so good so yeah Yeah, check that out if you can find it that channel yeah it's a good one and we will probably post some of these uh at least one image of Russell Williams in the lingerie of some of these victims because they it's not 
It's not provocative. It's fucking it's, weird. It's not sexy. It's fucking weird nah, as it's hell. It's fucking weird. And his um, his face in the pictures where he has like these bikinis on and stuff is yeah. the same face that he has in like his photos in military uniform yeah. at like a ceremony or something. There is just he is dead yeah. <laughs> inside. There's just nothing behind the eyes. Yeah, we we'll probably post some of those, but there's a lot of them online and they're easy to find. They were presented as evidence in court by the crown and stuff. So, yeah, they're they're pretty easy to find, but man, they're they're crazy. So, if you want to check those out, follow us on Twitter at Nickel and Elbow. That's N I C K E L A N D O B O E. Um, you can follow our hashtag on Twitter um, and on Instagram, Nickel and Oboe Pod, N I C K E L A N D O B O E P O D. P-O-D. And we are, we are. <laughs> the youth of the nation. We, we are. <laughs> Um, <laughs> we are. <laughs> we are. We are. And uh, you can follow Owen. I'm at Owen is the cat on Twitter. You can follow Nikki at Pumped Up Nick. Pumped Up N I K on Instagram and also on Twitter. Tune in next week. Oh, uh, last thing. I also want to mention Russell Williams' barber should also be in prison. This guy's fucking haircut. He's got this <laughs> weird thing where, like, he's balding, but he still has that weird, literally a square of hair oh in, in on his forehead, but it's, like, separated from the, the back on the crown of his head. It is crazy, yo. Check that out. We'll, we'll put up a picture of that as well, because you can't... It, it must be seen. It's shocking. <laughs> that guy also should be indicted. But anyway, tune in next week. Wait, what are you doing next week? No idea. We'll see. Another mystery for <laughs> us all. <laughs> Happy spooky season. Bye. Bye.